0: Um, yeah, when Marshall asked if I could preach about unhealthy patterns of communication, a lot went through my mind, and, of course, the first thing I did was hop onto Google like he did. Um, and I specifically Googled my first search, is it okay to communicate about Crocs? The answers are a little unclear, um, but I did find a few other things I wanted to share with you guys that I think are really significant for our time today in worship. Uh, one time I asked my husband to boil water so I could make some spaghetti, He put the pot of water on the stove, washed it until it started to boil, and then turned the stove off. This is terrible. My toddler was about to hit her head on the bar at the playground, so I told her to duck. She quacked at me, then whacked her head in the bar. That's actually happened to my family. Um, During an army interview, they asked me what would I do if I found a snack in the middle of the jungle. I said, I'll pick it up and probably eat it. They were shocked, and they they actually meant snake. Well, oof. Last one. I think these are really cringy. Um, As a kid, I remember going to the doctor and he said, hey, how's your stool doing? And I patiently told him, yeah, we we have several chairs and The chairs are all fine. Well, y'all, those are all terrible. Uh, (laughs) But that's the best I could find on Google. I apologize. Um, Today we are discussing some red flags of unhealthy communication. And uh, just honestly, it just feels like a red flag being up here in the end of myself. It's so hard to communicate, even in my own relationships. Um, marriage, friends, w- whatever it is, you know, it's really hard to, to get through to people sometimes, and you want to, uh, but sometimes there's so many things that are left unsaid, or somehow you just send the exact message that you don't want to send to the other person. And maybe you have a friend who you have an issue with, and every time you bring up this issue, uh, somehow things get turned around, and actually they become the victim, and you're consoling them like, how how do we get here? Like, I'm trying to bring that up an issue. And, or maybe you have a parent who every time they talk to you, it is just full of criticisms. It's just full of, they're just critiquing everything that you do. And it's all that you can do to walk away from them or to distance yourself because you know that if you talk with them, more criticism's coming. Or maybe you and your spouse had the same conversation over and over and over again, and yet one of you feels like, I just feel like he doesn't hear me. And, and th- maybe the other person's like, I just, I can never get anything right. I just feel like a failure. And, and I, I'm not sure which relationship you're thinking about right now as far as communication red flags go. Um, but what I do know is that these red flags of communication can be really subtle, and that's the tricky part. Um, and sometimes these subtle things get bigger. It becomes a pattern, and then before you know it, you have two people who are just entrenched in their positions, and there's no communication. And that's what—that's when things get really hard. So I want to start off today, which is which is a quick handful of red flags of unhealthy communication that I've seen, that you've probably seen too. And I just want to call those out to where if you are in a relationship with somebody and you can feel that disconnect, you can feel like every time you do try to talk about it, things actually feel worse. Maybe some of these things can, can, we can call out some of these things. So first thing I want to bring up is that constant criticism and defense. A lot of us feel this in a lot of our relationships. Um, This might be an age old back and forth that you might have heard of, but uh, the Gottman Institute, is a big organization that does a lot of research in couples, a crazy amount of research. And in their findings, couples that tend to have more instability or challenges often have criticism and defense patterns. And I say that, it's not just couples though. <laughs> if you have any other relationships, and I've had this too with my friendships, with my parents, whoever it is, coworkers, if someone criticizes me, the next thing I'm gonna do, you know I'm gonna try to defend myself. And I think that's really natural for a lot of us. And What's tough about criticism is when someone critiques us, it goes beyond that behavior they want to be different, right? What often happens is they go beyond that and they're actually, criticism is all about things that are globally true about me and my character and they want that to be different. So instead of, hey, looks like you forgot to grab the salsa again at the store. Criticism is like, you literally always forget the things I want. Why can't you remember the one thing I asked for? And you remember all the things that you wanted. Like, what, what is wrong with you, right? Like, that's kind of criticism is much different. You can feel the difference. Like, you can feel the little hidden daggers there in, in the criticism that really hurt. Um, and of course, as someone says something like this to me, I'm going to have every urge in me to defend, I'm going to have every urge in me to be defensive. Um, So maybe I'd respond with like, yeah, so this one time, yeah, I I forgot. But like, did you remember the other 90 times in which I didn't forget? And do you remember that one time when you were eight months pregnant and I went to Taco Bell in the snow and got you four quesadillas? Like, do you remember that time? And guess what happens next? The other person pulls out an even bigger sword of criticism. And is like, okay, here we go. You brought up that time. Okay, here comes the other times. So sure, bring up that one time when I was super sick, eight months pregnant. Sure, bring up that one time. That one time you were a little bit thoughtful. I appreciate you bringing that up. But let, let's look at the scoreboard here. So it, it's just, you get a bigger sword. The other person gets a bigger shield. Bigger sword, bigger shield. And that criticism defense pattern gets really, really hard to get out of. It, people get really stuck in that. So where eventually, one person just decides, this is too much, I'm just done, I'm backing away, and I I can't do this. And what often people don't see, though, what people don't see below the swords and the defense, below the, the shields, is both people, in the criticism and defense patterns, are actually both hurting. Both people are in pain. Maybe the person who is defensive feels like they're a failure. They feel like they're having to defend their own integrity, their own character, because maybe because of all these criticisms coming their way, they're starting to believe those harsh things about themselves. So whenever they're defensive, they're trying to retaliate, or they're trying to show that those times that they did do it right, maybe they're actually defending themselves. Maybe they're mobilizing to make sure that they don't believe these things about themselves. Or the other person who's offering criticism. On the surface, yeah, they're angry, they're intense, they're critical. But like below that, people are often really feeling burned out. They're feeling empty. They're feeling alone. And both people get stuck in these red flag criticism and defense places, and the conversation gets stuck, and both people end up feeling pretty lonely, pretty isolated. It's hard to connect out of that pattern. Another red flag that's kind of a cousin of defending is placating. Um, You know, a a lot of people enjoy this one, and I think sometimes (laughs) there's a place for it, but placating is, you know, loosely... Related defensiveness, but when someone feels criticized, when someone feels like they've messed up, when they when they can feel that tension in the room, that's kind of sometimes when placating can come in, and they say the right things, they offer that beautiful apology, they they tell their parents, "I will do better. I will I will do that next time. Yes, I, w- I will do it better, just to quiet things down." Or maybe they tell that friend, "Yeah, like totally, I- I'm down to do. Let's go do that." And then they say they're a yes man or, You know, this is a bit of a subtle one, but but people who placate in relationships, what unfortunately happens that we don't notice sometimes is resentment builds up. In the person that is always saying the right things, or agreeable, or or you can call it a peacemaker, whatever you want to call it, this person, if they're not able to express their side of the coin, what ends up happening is resentment begins to slowly boil, and they can feel that. And that disconnection is fueled with that to where, you know, in the moment— Everything in their body and mind that says, let's make the peace. I'm going to say the right thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I know to do to calm this things down. But internally, they've kind of turned themselves off a little bit. To where what happens is re- the relationship kind of does this. It does this. One person's needs are met. One person's needs are the focus. And the other person's is, is just kind of shut off. And you lose the other person in that connection. And that's really hard. Um... Another red flag, stonewalling and contempt. Again, these are taken directly from some of the Gottman Institute's research um, on couples. But again, if you've ever been in a relationship, you probably experienced some of these things. So stonewalling. Stonewalling, I'm sure if you, you know, if you can picture a, a wall of literal stone, Just this is what someone's face does, right? You're you're in a conversation. You're talking about maybe things are getting heated. Maybe you brought up that one topic that you really shouldn't bring up at 1030 at night. Um, But that topic is brought up. Things are, maybe you have some things back and forth. Maybe the big sword's being brought up. Maybe the big shield's being brought up. Then all of a sudden, the wall comes up. Someone's face just shuts down. All the expression is just put away. And all you can see is this stone wall. Their face, it just, it just, it's like they've gone away emotionally. It's like they are, they are done in that moment. Every, every message that their face is sending is, I disapprove. I'm done. And maybe they stop making eye contact. And again, if, if you're on the receiving end of stonewalling, this is pretty hard to see. Because the last thing, if you're trying to talk about something with somebody that's important to you, and if this person is important to you too, the last thing that you want to see is just them to leave. Like they're physically present, but they're out. They've withdrawn from the conversation and that really stings. Maybe sometimes even more than them physically leaving. Um, So if you're on the receiving end of the stonewall, guess what you probably do? Sometimes if we receive the stonewall, if we see it, if we see our person's face, just kind of go stonewall, everything within us just boils over and we just have to reach them. We just have to find them. So sometimes we go even beyond criticism. We just start to talk, we start to do contempt. Contempt is the other red flag here and it's, it's sort of like a step further than criticism. Um, it's when one person is actually intentionally trying to insult, cause harm, mock make humor shove down emotionally. Like I'm trying to wake you up. So I'm going to say these harsh things that I may not want to say in this moment, but because I can't find you, because this conversation is getting out of hand, because I just can't handle this, because of my own trauma, the, whatever it is, because of all this stuff back here, my only, it feels like my only resort right now is to just chunk this at you, this big boulder of an item. And if you've been on the receiving end of contempt, that's really hard to come back from it's really hard to hear some of these things from the people we care about. And these are just a few of the red flags, (laughs) y'all. These are just a few of the red flags that you might notice in communication and in your relationships. These are just a few. And before I hop into some action steps and some scripture about these things, I wanna just make one quick quick point that I think is really important to to make. Um, When our culture talks about red flags, if you've been on TikTok or if you've been on any kind of social media, the word toxic, comes up a lot, and and maybe this could be a whole other series, but sometimes um, when red flags come up, and sometimes whenever you hear things like this of criticism, defense, or when you get this information, sometimes our culture is like, hey, if you see that, that person is toxic, cut them off. We're done. And what I want to say to this is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is a really old and weird phrase to use. Um, But what I'm trying to suggest is, yes, sometimes there are red flags. Yes, sometimes maybe a relationship, maybe a friendship, you often feel manipulated. Maybe you often feel like they're criticizing you. Maybe you often feel whenever you talk about something with your coworker, they stonewall you, and you just feel an immense amount of disrespect from that, and it feels like it can't change. And if that's the case, again, there may not be another choice for you to cut off that relationship or for you to have more distance. But sometimes, sometimes... I think sometimes we don't, we don't put ourselves, we don't give these relationships a chance. Sometimes we don't try to everything. Sometimes we don't allow God to soak our hearts before calling it quits in one of these relationships. And that's kind of what I want to get to today is, you know, our culture, again, has a tendency. And again, sometimes these boundaries are really important to do, but if we set these hard boundaries, and this is our first choice to cut off, um, sometimes you might find that, actually could have done something. You know, a lot of us have these relationships maybe from the past that we're thinking of right now that we've had to cut off. We've had to set that hard boundary, and we can't help but wonder and grieve of some of those relationships. And I, I hope you don't hear me say, hey, if you've cut off somebody from the past, you're a bad person. You should have depended on God more. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying sometimes if a relationship feels stuck, if it feels hopeless, if you're seeing these red flags, if it feels lifeless, maybe see what God can do there in your heart maybe see what we can do. And that's exactly what I want to talk about now is, hey, if I notice some of these red flags, if I notice some of these things that are making me feel this disconnection, what do I do? What do I do in these relationships? So the first action step is study yourself first. Study yourself first, which again, um, i got to start with a personal confession up here as we talk about this. Um, When I moved up here, uh, when I first became a therapist, a lot of my training initially involved involved conscious discipline. Maybe a few teachers out there have heard of this, but conscious discipline is a program that schools use, that many parents tap into as well, to help adults be more intentional with how they discipline their children. So a lot of schools use it in how they discipline kids with big emotions, etc. So I, I become a therapist. I'm actually giving lectures and trainings on this conscious discipline thing, which is fun. But God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Y'all, we moved here. And at the same time, I'm learning all this conscious discipline stuff, how to be an intentional parent, how to be, you know, respond to big emotions, how to, how to be intentional with your discipline. Guess what happened at the same time in my life? At the same time in my life, for two and a half months, these buffoon movers, who were supposed to move all of our belongings from New York to Arkansas, they took almost three months to bring us our belongings. And I I may have shared this with some of you guys whenever it happened, but long story short, we will never, ever move like that again, (laughs) because we were sleeping on the floor for months. And I'm not trying to get pity, but what I'm actually trying to say is I was just angry. I was so angry a lot of the time, to where I would just post on Better Business bill w- I would make calls. I, I would just be so angry all the time. I mean, my kids were sleeping in the fort. We had Brandon's old couch from Goodwill that smelled like rats, like, in- I'm sorry, Brandon, but it, it, it was, it was hideous. The couch alone, no. It was so hard. It was such, it, it was so frustrating because I had no control. I couldn't do it, and I might be a control freak, but I feel like that's a good excuse to have my anger boiling. So guess what that concoction resulted in my life with? Conscious discipline trainings, new therapist, plus all of this stuff. Guess what happened there? I came home from work, got to try out my new skills. Everyone's stresses, all i get out. We're lacking sleep. And I come home and I criticize, criticize and criticize my wife and my kids for them not regulating well enough. And I, I look at back that now, I'm like, oh my word. Like, what a time to attempt to spread this wisdom. What a, what a time to attempt to to try to have them do this, you know, I was focusing so much on the people in front of me. I was focusing so much on on them. I was focusing so much on what they could have done. Or I was—it's fo- like I was trying to regulate myself. I was trying to, to stay calm by like just overanalyzing everyone around me. Have y'all ever done that? Whenever things feel off, when you're trying to feel okay, I'm gonna make sure that everyone. Are, I'm gonna make sure these people in front of me are okay first. And I, we have no awareness of ourselves. We lose ourselves. This is what happened to me. And, and even though I was well-intentioned, even though I was trying to help in my own dumb way, honestly, um, I forgot to look at myself first. And what passage comes to mind as I am reflect here is from Matthew 7. So feel free to follow along with me. I'll be reading from the ESV. But it says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And again, th- this just really hits me in the heart in uh, and, and a lot of my life. And, and if you're like me sometimes, if you have a tendency to be critical, if you have a tendency to maybe study others before studying yourself, I'm speaking to your heart just like I'm speaking to my heart right now. We need to remember to slow down. We need to remember that sometimes whenever we offer these criticisms, whenever we speak up about certain things, sometimes there's hidden daggers, sometimes there's little flames in how we try to get what we need. So going back to my example from earlier with the salsa, you always forget the things I want. Why can't you remember the one thing I asked for? I wonder if if, if we slow down. And look at that criticism. What need you see underneath that? Do y'all see it? Do you feel that need there? Have, have you felt this? There might be a need to be cherished. It's not about the salsa. It's not about the salsa. Salsa, in my opinion, should be the sixth love language, but that's another topic for a different day. But like, part of me is like, just get your wife some salsa. Like, no, like it's not about the salsa. It's about someone else reaching out and saying, I'm just trying to look for reassurance. I'm just trying to feel like I'm not alone in this thing. I'm burned out. Can you give me some kind of relief to let me know that I'm not alone? So on the outside, what you hear is, give me salsa. But like below that, it's like, hey, I am, I, I really need you. I need you to step in here for me and I need this. So whenever we offer criticism, if we don't slow down, we miss these needs that are below these things. Does that make sense? When people come into my office and ask for a couple's counseling, I one of the first things I always do is I have both people slow down. You know, I hear you. I hear you. You got these swords. You got these shields. You got all this stuff coming back and forth. Slow down. And I attempt to have people try to reflect about what am I actually needing here? What is the disparity here? What, what is it that my heart is aching for here? And it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to do that because all the hurt gets in the way. It might seem simple on the outside. Just get the salsa, bro. But it's not about the salsa. It's about helping them feel like someone's there for them. Second action step to, to consider after we study ourselves is to express our needs and the impact of what we've been through with I statements. I won't lie to you guys. I almost didn't put this action step in the sermon because it's such a cliche. It's such a cliche. Um, if you've watched the show called The Office, may not be the best show to quote right now, um, but I, I hear Pam and Jim saying, to speak my truth, I feel—and that just makes me cringe because it, it's such a cliche. We've heard this before. But what I want to lean into right now about using I statements is leaning towards expressing more of our own stuff and less about the other person. Uh, The Gottman research would suggest, in their own language, like express a positive need. Express a positive need, which means, you know, instead of pointing fingers, instead of pointing fingers, what what this is saying is, hey, could we express more about what could the other person do? You know, here's my need, here's what you could do to to help me in this place, which seems logical, but like sometimes we miss these things. Sometimes we we get lost in our hurt. You know, something like saying, hey, I'm feeling a little frustrated recently. I feel like I've initiated the last several times whenever we hang out. It would mean a lot to me if you could initiate next time we hang out as friends. Or maybe if you're talking to your parents, dad, (laughs) that it's really hard for me whenever you give me a list of things I'm doing wrong all at one time. Next time, could you just give me like one or two things to work on at a time so I don't get overwhelmed? When, I, when I'm confronted with, these, with this, I, I can't help but think of one of my favorite passages. Um, Paul is writing to the, the church in Ephesus, and he's doing a lot of different things. And, and Ephesians 4 is one of the best passages, you guys. If you were to slow down and just look at this passage. But in Ephesians 4.29, it says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If I just stood up here and read that verse over and over again, you would have a much better sermon. This is, this is the stuff, you know, as I've reflected about this, this is, this is just hitting my heart in such a nuanced way because when, when you think about it, with all of these red flags of, of communication I've mentioned and maybe other red flags that you guys have in, in your relationships, I would almost guarantee that all these red flags are ways that we actually don't build each other up. That when we criticize, we're not building each other up. Whenever we defend, we're actually not building each other up. We're building up ourselves. Whenever, of course, whenever we stonewall. Of course, whenever we show contempt. Of course, whenever we placate. Of course, in these other moments, we, we aren't trying to build each other up. It's, it's not about the relationships. It's about ourselves, if you think about it. And um, the again, the Gottman Institute has this helpful metaphor that you may have heard of to where it, you know, what if we treated a relationship like a bank account? A lot of us think probably a lot about our bank accounts, because we have to, and um, if you think about your relationship like a bank account, if you have negative interaction, negative interaction, criticism, defense, all these negative moments, sooner or later if you make all those withdrawals, you're gonna run out of money. And sooner or later if your account becomes depleted, and without knowing it, there's not any positivity, or intimacy, or vulnerability to lean on. So, of course, If this has been happening for a while in a relationship that you have, of course it's hard to assume the best of the other person. Of course it might feel even impossible to be vulnerable. To express yourself. Why would you express yourself if this person again and again and again has shown you that it's not safe to do that? This is really hard. But if we can instead use other methods and and begin to identify some of these red flags, we can begin to shift things for the good, even if it feels like the bank account's pretty depleted. Okay, last action step, and I'll wrap up. You guys are doing great. Last action step is to take responsibility. If you're someone who has a tendency to be defensive, taking responsibility for your part of the problem can be huge. Again, we, we know this, we feel this, but this is a really hard thing to do, especially if it feels like you have a pretty good point uh, in the argument, right? Like maybe the other person is a little off base. Maybe whenever, uh, in these moments, it doesn't feel like they're super accurate. Maybe you do have some sort of reason and rational reason to speak up for your defense. I I totally get that. I'm right there with you. For me, it's important to be right. (laughs) For me, it's important to, you know, if I'm being defensive, it's about, okay, I am kind of right here. Like, you do see this, right? Um, And this is really challenging for me, um, because sometimes when I'm defensive, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I'm actually defending not only my, the person I'm talking with's perspective of me, but without knowing it, I'm defending my, my own perspective of me. It's almost like when I'm defensive, when I'm defensive, I am actually defending my own beliefs about me, and I don't even realize it. That when, when I get irritated and angry in my defense, I'm actually angry because I'm actually starting to believe some of these harsh things about me. And I said the word me a lot just then. As I talk about being defensive, I almost want to be defensive about being defensive. And again, this is all about me this is all about me. So now I'm just confronted with my favorite passage of the Bible in Philippians 2. If you want to look there in your Bibles or in your phones, or on the screen with me. When Paul writes to the church in Philippi, we know some of, if you remember the book of Philippians, there are some issues, there's some relationship issues that are happening in the church. Some people aren't getting along. There's some conflict, there's some red flags communication. Um, it's, it's happening, and this is how, Paul begins Philippians in chapter 2, and he's talking about Jesus's humility. In verse 1 it says, so if there is any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, first off, like, of course we have some of that. So Paul Paul is beginning this big passage with, hey, if you have ever been impacted at all by any of these great things from Christ, listen to this next part. So he— verse 3 is the next part. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So Paul is essentially saying this, hey, look at your relationship with Jesus. Let the weight and the love of that relationship wash over you, and if you have felt the love, the comfort, the sympathy, the Spirit uplifting you, the Spirit giving you these fruits, if you felt any of that, if you felt any of the weight of that, then guess, wh- guess what that means? Guess what that means? You have to do what Jesus has done to you. Jesus, he didn't have to do this, but Jesus, the God of the universe, the, the Jesus Christ who created the world from the beginning, he chose our interests first before his own. Jesus, in his love and his selfless love for us, counted us worthy enough because of his love for us that he would sacrifice himself and count our interests before his own. And because of what Jesus has done for us, if because of the comfort that I receive from my relationship with Jesus, because of all that, because of the weight of that, this is why that I don't always have to defend myself. This is why I don't always have to stick up for myself because I know that I have the God of the universe in my corner who was actually on a cross for me, to where I don't always have to, to make sure that I'm heard and make sure I'm right, because I know that Christ is in my backbone. And even as I say that right now, this is such an, a challenge, and yet if I truly let my, my relationship with Jesus wash over me here, if I truly allow him to be here for me, this actually frees me to see the other person in front of me's interests. This frees me not to have to focus so much on myself to protect myself, to get my big shield, or to get my big sword. No, this frees me up right now to get everything out of the way and just love this person as Christ has loved me. And it's only because of Christ that I can do that. And this is, again, such a hard thing to do. But this last action step, as we, you know, think about all these things and we consider our relationship with Jesus, part of this involves taking responsibility for at least a a part of how we impacted the issue, of how we impacted the situation. We take responsibility for our part, and part of that also involves, which this is the tough part, this, this takes the Jesus juice here, we have to actually tell the other person, hey, I'm trying to accept your perspective. I may not agree with you. I may actually completely disagree with you. You may be completely out of bounds here right? Objectively, you're wrong. Maybe this is what's in our heads, but I am choosing in this moment because I am washed over by the blood of Christ. I am choosing to show you that I'm attempting to meet you there and accept your perspective just as I have my perspective. So we take responsibility, and that is just—I've seen that happen, and it is just life-giving, it's life-giving if, if you have an a, important relationship with you, whether it's your spouse, your friend, coworker, your parent. If someone, for the first time, finally says, hey, I hear you. I actually hear you. I, I get you. I, you know, in the past, I, I, should, I could have done this. I, I could have gotten that salsa for you. I, 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 I could have stepped up. I could have helped around the house a bit more. I know things were so stressful there. Um, when I was learning all this new therapist skills and we were so stressed with our house, I, I could have calmed down and, and, and not been so critical. I, I take responsibility for that. When we do that, when we take responsibility, we actually give that other person freedom to lay down their sword. I don't know if you feel that, or if you've experienced that, but it's huge. So as I wrap up here, um, I just want to say how what, sometimes with these talks about communication, about relationships, these things just feel overly simplified. Hey, if you can just stop criticizing, hey, if you can just take responsibility, hey, if you can just do these things magically overnight, your relationship with your friends or your spouse or your coworkers will be improved and you can walk out of here great. I wish that was true. I wish there was an easy button we could press about this, but there's not. There's really not. As we talk about this, you know, I, I, I've mentioned this before in maybe other, other talks I've done, but. I can't help but think of my relationship with my kids in in these moments. I can't help but think of how, you know, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes being a parent's pretty simple. If my kids hurt, if my kid falls down, everything within me says, okay, I'm going to go up, pick them up, and hold them. That will offer them comfort, and then we'll be okay. We move on. But what's so hard here is with our kids, the signal's clear. They cry out. They scream for help. And we meet the, everything within me says, yeah, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to meet that signal. I I just, everything I'm doing, I'm just going to come up and I'm going to hold you. And the signal comes through clear. There's no red flags of communication there. I just, I, I swoop up and hold my child. Comfort comes. We're okay. But as adults, it's not the same. As adults, we've all been through so much. We've been hurt from the past. Maybe we've fallen in our past. Someone was not there to pick us up. Maybe for us, in our relationship, that things are coming up. It's so hard for me to trust this person. Our bank account and our relationship's depleted. Whatever it is, the signals get muffled. The signals get muffled, and I can't reach this person. I'm hurting, and this person cannot hear me, no matter what I do. And that's why I criticize. That's why I throw contempt. That's why I get this big sword and try to get their attention, because they're just stonewalling me. Um we don't feel cherished, we don't feel heard, and our hurt just kind of lingers. And sometimes, whenever our relationships get this disconnected, like I mentioned earlier, we feel stuck, isolated, and maybe even angry. And sometimes I also feel like we get angry at God, too. That if God can see me in this relationship, why isn't he helping me? And maybe in that disconnect, too, we feel disconnected from God. God doesn't know what it's like to feel disconnected. God doesn't know what it's like to to experience this, and this, this sense of disconnection and stuckness oozes over into our relationship with God to where we don't want to talk to God either. Why would I send God a signal for my hurt whenever no one else is receiving my signals for hurt? And as I, t- as I think about this, I, I'm just struck. It just hits me so hard. I, you know, in 2013, I actually got to go, and uh, went, I went abroad, and um, we went to Greece, Israel, and Turkey, and guess what one of the places that I got to see was? I got to see the Garden of Gethsemane. And that the image of the olive trees, the image of the rocks and the grass, the the Jerusalem, you know, over there, like just the images pop into my mind right now as I talk about this. And I just remember of how our Savior felt the weight of the cup of the wrath of the world that he was about to take. Our Savior asked three of his closest friends to come with him, just to be with him, to sit with him in this pit, sit with him in his sorrow, He asked them. He sent a pretty clear signal, it seems, from Scripture at least. Hey, I need you here. I need you with me because this is just too much for me to handle. This is just weighing on me. I'm so sorrowful, even to death, it says. Stay here and watch with me. So Jesus prays, and as we know in the story, the disciples again and again and again fall asleep. Again and again, Jesus is disappointed. Again and again, Jesus... Was disconnected. His signals of hurt, his signals of hurt, weren't met. In a moment when he really needed his people, he was let down. He was in pain. And if this isn't enough, on the cross where he was naked and so much pain, he was just flogged. He was bearing the sin of the world. Jesus cries out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" From the beginning of the world, Jesus ha- has had this amazing connection with his heavenly Father. He would go all night and pray to God. He would go during the day and pray to God. He would depend on God. He would depend on the Holy Spirit and all the ministry he was doing. If, if there was anybody that was always there for Jesus, it was his heavenly father. Even though he was betrayed and spat upon and like all the, his world was chaos, but Jesus had his heavenly father to depend on, didn't he? And yet for us, because Jesus loved us so much, Jesus felt forsaken by his father for a moment. He felt that disconnection for a moment. And that just strikes me So if anyone knows on a deep level what it's like to be alone, to suffer, or to be stuck, or for his signals to go unheard, it's Jesus Christ. He can sit with us in the pain. If we feel alone in some of this, he can sit right next to us because he's cried those same tears. He's experienced this with us. We are the child on the playground. We have fallen again and again. Our knee is scraped up, and our Heavenly Father is able to swoop us in and pick us up and hold us in his arms. And Jesus Christ knows exactly what that's like. If you're here today and you're frustrated, if you feel alone in your, some of your relationships, maybe communication is one of those challenging things, maybe it's something else. If you're here today and you feel the weight of these disconnections, if if you feel like you're just so alone in these things and no one else can know, not only is my God able to step in and be there with you and experience this with you, but this church too is full of imperfect people who have been there too. I'm sure I'm not the only person who isn't the best communicator. I'm sure that there's so many people here who would be honored to sit with you in your, in, in your pit because they have been there too. Um, if you need anything this morning, feel free to come forward or visit with an elder as we stand and as we sing.